0: I'm Abaid Hussein, Positive Youth Foundation Programmes Manager, back with another episode. Really delighted to have Dr. Ahmed with us on the show. Uh, Dr. Ahmed is from the Meridian Practice. Dr. Ahmed, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, we've been really, really looking forward to this episode for, for a long time and we are planning this uh, podcast, uh, audio cast series. Uh, one of the people that we wanted to speak to immediately was, was yourself, based on your experience and the work that you've been doing. So I want to ask you, Like Coventry plays like, a really unique part in hosting and supporting uh, refugee and asylum-seeking families, young people, etc. Uh, what's your take on how Coventry is supporting refugees and asylum-seekers? Okay, uh,
1: I work as uh, you introduced me as a GP lead at Meridian Practice, which is a uh, practice for asylum-seekers and refugees only. Um, I've been working there for the last 10 years and uh, the concept of um, specialist practice for asylum seekers and refugees started um, nearly 22 years ago uh, and uh, I was lucky to join the practice and I didn't have um, much experience in this field before I joined but over a decade I've got gathered lots of experience and uh, i'm the leading doctor there we we have a wonderful team working at meridian practice uh, managers our, our manager is najib vice and he keeps the team together and uh, there is wonderful admin and reception staff i'm mentioning this because without their contribution running a service like this is really really difficult um coventry is a century of refuge and uh, the uh, City of Culture 2021. I, I, I think one of, the, uh, one of the main things Coventry is known for is welcoming refugees. And um, when, when I started working here, I was quite, um, it, it was mixed feeling for me. On one hand, there were some services trying to help, but not, nothing was streamlined. But I've seen the progress and the wonderful work, not only from the primary care, secondary care site, but other voluntary organizations coming on board, refugee center expanding. And, and so that now Coventry receives uh, more refugees uh, than anywhere else except London. So we are the second dispersal, second biggest
0: dispersal site. Um, You're aware, the Positive Youth Foundation, we work with um, young people, specifically from the age of 8 to 25. And we're doing a piece of work at the moment uh, looking at early intervention, acute levels mental health in newly arrived young people between the ages of 8 to 13. Now, the Meridian Practice is the first point of contact for asylum seekers and refugees once they've come into coventry we've done a bit of research and found pre-arrivals if they're coming through a resettlement scheme then there is an assessment provided and done by iom uh, in in the second country or potentially even the first country that they come from now meridian practice being the first point of contact in coventry what what do you see um, in terms of challenges when it comes to mental health i know you 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 probably will speak about it later on more about uh, assessing the family as a whole but generally when we're speaking about the children do you you see and witness trauma or challenges uh, from your experience and your expertise so we would have a person or a family
1: registering with us we didn't have any background information and only after speaking to them we would find out that what they've gone through so you'd have no
0: background information on the family at all
1: no not at all so so everything would come out in the nursing assessment and then we have to plan from there now with the IOMs on uh, IOMs being shared with us uh, through migration team so we have a fair bit of idea what to expect and that helps us plan better care for young people especially we also do mental health screening now i should say when it comes to mental health sc- screening it's not very straightforward uh, first of all the awareness of uh, people coming into uk uh, they have a very different perception of mental health mm. uh, i should say mental health is a western term yeah for for for, uh, for mental health issues um and um, lots of families are taken aback when we say mental health issues, and the first expression they use, "My son is not mad, my daughter is not mad," but what happens? So we, they
0: don't want the screening to happen because of the taboo.
1: Uh, there's lots. There, there's a big taboo when it comes to mental health. Uh, I think. I, I think when we do the assessment, we do an orientation round. Um, what kind of services we, we provide? So from health screening to physical health, um, physical health, um, screening. So we do blood tests and things like that, and then we do a mental health screening. Now, um, I can remember a lady coming to me, uh, when I pointed out to her that okay, there's a problem, that we need to have a chat with your son, okay, and she refused and she didn't give me consent to have a chat with this with 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 her son and it was it was difficult. So without consent it becomes challenging. Yeah. So we have to give her education. Yeah. And then wait for her to come in contact with us. And and that happened a few months down the line. Yeah. So so uh, me and Taiba were talking about the the time lost. Yeah. I, I think that time could have been utilized in providing the necessary support for
0: the for the children. That's that's really interesting to know that is because Consent is a a thing that sometimes we forget as well, because these are children we're speaking about. So sometimes it might be that there's need of immediate support, but if a parent hasn't bought into or understood the mental health challenge, then that child could could be suffering for for a long time until the parents, like you said, are educated, which kind of leads me onto a diverted point. So maybe there's an opportunity here prior to arrival, if they're coming through a resettlement scheme, to provide that education, that there will be a mental health screening upon arrival into the into the city or into the UK, and what mental health means, and educating the parents prior to arrival potentially, and uh, so, and, and another point, sorry, you mentioned the screening. So for those who don't know um, or what a screening is like, what 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 is a screening? Um, How does it take place? Yeah.
1: So so the after. So as as I said, we plan when the families arrive before the families arrive i go through their medical documentation and then i book an appointment with a nurse it's a chance for the patients parents and young people to express themselves as well as the nurses go through their background uh, from for example for children from birth history immunization and their, um, what they've witnessed, what they've lost. Wow,
0: you go yeah. through those details. Yeah, uh,
1: it's a very lengthy appointment. It, it is an hour appointment for each person. Wow. And the nurses are very efficient uh, in documenting um, the challenges the young person goes through. And then once they identify that there is more to it that needs exploring, they book an appointment with a doctor and when the doctor talks to them about their health issues it's not a ch- chat around just the physical health issues but it's uh, overall screening for mental health so we need to
0: look for uh, mental health uh, pointers to the mental health disorders and and those conversations that you're having the hour-long conversations it, say for example you have concern is that with the child alone or is that with an adult present as well
1: okay these days, there is a lot of focus on recording the child's voice. Yeah. So we always get the children involved in our conversation. You can see it gets very tricky. It's already a three-way conversation. Yeah. And uh, So
0: three, three-way 3 meaning there's a translator uh, present as well?
1: A, there's a translator, oh, a wow, clinician, yeah. uh, and the uh, the mother and the child. Sometimes it get, becomes four-way conversation because some of the children who have been, for example, coming from North Syria, and they speak um, Surani yeah. Then Arabic. So parents speak Arabic, children speak Surani. So it sometimes become becomes four-way conversation. And we make it a point to capture a child's voice. And we observe their behavior. We look for pointers for mental health problems. And if we find anything, so we explore further. And, the, and we have a way of booking appointments so once we identify a problem we book the appointment for the doctor so so that they don't have to come and book the appointment for themselves themselves. so what we take we take part of the responsibility on ourselves so but in the end we wanted parents to be empowered so that they can book the appointment but initially it's too much to expect
0: so now we also, over the last five years, receive information and data around medical, uh, some medical history. Um, a lot of the times we've come across young people in, has been in, young person has been in camp for 65 months, has been in camp for 85 months, has been in camp for 24 months. Now, obviously, we're not qualified clinicians or doctors, but what we take from that is someone that's potentially been in a camp for 65 months has or Is going to be suffering some some sort of trauma, so we prepare ourselves in terms of our activities to ensure we provide a really comfortable environment for them when they come into our our sessions. Um, I'm I'm assuming um, that you have that same data and you know a child has been in a family has been in camp in sixty for sixty five months, twenty four months, whatever it may be. So you you you're also kind of prepared before they arrive. Would you would you? Agree with that? Are you asking how do
1: we prepare yeah, in you... terms of receiving? But when it comes to mental health problems, because those uh, these children who have lived in uh, war-torn areas, refugee camps, and uh, and they've seen um, they they've seen lots of violence, mm-hmm. and they've seen um, they, the some of the children have seen the parents being tortured and killed in front of their eyes some people were taken to be recruited by for example isis uh, and and there are lots of things going on so it takes some um, digging or, or i should say dissection to to find out what's happening with this child so it's not just a one snapshot assessment we encourage young people to come again and again to our services Uh, and over a period of time we get to know them Uh, and in order for a child to express their feelings they have to trust us and trust is something very difficult for them to to make because of their experiences so and once they learn to trust us they start divulging information not just the children even the parents so so from our part what we have to do we have to make uh, space time for them to listen and that's our first priority give them a chance to speak and um, the idea of mental health as approaching mental health is foreign to them so if i say have you are you going through symptoms this 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 i think probably uh, they would say no to that but when you observe if you see a child who's very withdrawn and um then I have to even if it's not the child's appointment I have to ask mother how is he doing mm-hmm. and, and then and then explore further or offer an appointment so we have to be
0: very flexible that's the other in thing in your approach in, in, in our approach I think that's very similar to us as well I think that that's what puts us in a unique position in the youth sector where um, we use a number of weeks for the young person to build their trust with us they're not coming to us because of the playstation or the pool table they're coming to us because how we engage with them and once we engage with them and they build the trust we we tend to find more and more disclosures being made to us and that's why i think we're here today because sometimes we feel our intervention is supportive of the betterment of their mental health and we'd like to see if there's any you know if you can see any differences through our work but thank you for that insight Dr. Ahmed you had some questions? Sorry, I
2: keep... I did, but I feel like it was mentioned in... You, you spoke about how you prepare for families arriving and what you would do in the process. So on the day of arrival for new families, what does that day look like? Is it busier than normal? Is it... What what goes on at the practice?
1: Okay, well, typical day starts for general practitioners. It's 8, 8.30 in the morning. So mm-hmm. it, when the families are to arrive we get a notification from um, citizen migration teams mm. and citizens advice bureau that this, uh, this, these many families are to arrive in Coventry or Birmingham and then they're going to welcome them in Coventry. And then uh, they would have shared the IOM with us. So uh, I'm the only clinician who goes through them mm-hmm. and then uh, transfer the medical information onto our system. So, so other countries don't use coding as we use. Mm-hmm. So we code all the medical, if they have any mental health issues documented. And then uh, the nurses look at that and, uh, and the manager makes provision for appointments for a screening appointment sometimes obviously we are uh, we don't have unlimited uh, time yeah. um so what we have to do we have to prioritize people with uh, immediate or urgent needs so we offer nothing appointments and as i mentioned to bed the nothing appointments are lengthy and that would be a chance for them to speak so none of the surgeries I worked before offer one-hour appointment for nursing Mm. assessment, but that's our our protocol that gives us very, very good information, um, background information to look back even 10 years later, if I'm not sure what has happened to this particular young person, look at the uh, nursing assessment notes. So, and then you have to be available there. Sometimes if you try to find issues, and that needs urgent attention the uh, the nurses would need a doctor to speak to so i work full time there i'm available all the time even if i'm not there at the base they they can approach me on my mobile and that keeps the service flexible okay yeah. and following that um there will be a orientation session or signposting session so we help them understand concept of Emergency services, walk in center, uh, and where to go for blood tests, how to collect the medications, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you can see, in a sense, we need to put a lot of time yeah. and effort into uh, in order for them to understand yeah. the basic primary care system, which is new for most of them. Mm-hmm. So, most of the uh, most of non-western countries don't have primary care system and we are very fortunate to have nhs system uh, primary uh, nhs and primary care system because that understands the need for the people not just based on physical mental also psychosocial what we refer to as holistic care yeah so, so that's, that's, the, that's approach. the yeah yes. and and you can imagine it takes time and effort yeah and willingness of the people to 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 ask that right kind of information obviously it needs experience as well so and as i said our nurses are quite experienced they've been working with us for a very long time mm-hmm. and and whoever wants uh, whoever comes as a doctor uh, that needs some supervision as well in order for them to understand the different ways that you have to ask the questions and you have to approach their issues yes. so the day is the same but uh, but we have to be very flexible in terms of accommodating as well as uh, willing to go extra mile to support the patient
2: i wouldn't i'd say that your service isn't your typical doctor service it's, it's
0: very, broad, very much broader than that much
2: broader like you you offer so much more and you really really support them in like integrating and accessing the services you know you're going the extra mile in providing them with the education around how to access it not just giving them the access but just you know really supporting them
0: would you in your in your opinion professional opinion say that the youth work element plays an important role in reducing um, mental health in, in young people in young, absolutely I think
1: um, there you can imagine uh, a youth person's experience in this uh, when they come to this country they've gone through horrible things um, they've been building expectations about a future without a fear or, or fear to their lives uh, and uh, without uh, being dependent on charities and things like that The most of the young people are aspiring towards making a better future but when they come in here um i think i think they have to they have to grasp the reality of the situation so there is lot of um, changes happen to their life so uh, even moving to a different city is a big thing but moving across a continent yeah, yeah it, it's a very very challenging both for parents and children and usually children are sidelined because parents are going through trauma, children are too shy to speak about themselves and they want to don't want to add to the burden for the parents. So I think the children usually keep it to themselves. Now, as you mentioned, that you're not a babysitting service, but you want engagement in your service in order to explore further. I, I think that is that is true when it comes to providing mental health service you need to have a, a trust rapport as well as um for the children to be able to talk to us uh, yeah I, I think we use that positively to provide our services
0: sorry can you repeat the last bit of your question yeah the last bit was so youth services do you feel in your professional opinion plays an important role in reducing reducing yes yes I got that um, the youth services
1: when I first met Positive Youth Foundation yourself in uh, one of the meetings for, with refugee well being service uh, I wasn't aware of your service I have to go and have a look yeah. to what you offer uh, and uh, I came to know the great work you do you. around uh, young people and um, it is Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you that uh, any services working with the young people will add uh, to their well-being and emotional well-being, mental well-being is not a separate entity. It is combined with their overall health. If, you, if they get support for schooling, uh, English language learning, befriending, mm-hmm. games, dramas, uh, no, these are all active these activities encourage them to make a positive bond with other peer groups as well as po- positive bond with the uh, with the youth workers and then in the end obviously it 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 is another way is you're you're making positive new memories for them yeah for them to forget the negative impacts they had in life. So it's a kind of therapy you're doing but without naming it a therapy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so
0: it's so absolutely uh, I uh, I appreciate the work you put mm-hmm. in. No thank you. The reason I asked the question is we strongly feel that it is a bit of a therapeutic service yeah. and we're trying to uh, get that awareness raised to the other sectors like the healthcare sectors that when working with refugees and asylum seekers a youth work is and can be seen as a therapeutic service as well or intervention um, so thank you for acknowledging that. Um, Tabor, do you have other questions?
2: No I just wanted to add to that um, like you can't expect young people to settle and, and progress when there's these barriers that are stopping them from doing that and you also mentioned that these triggers that happen they don't happen as soon as they get here. They kind of take time to come about, and if they don't have these like systems in place to support them, then it stops them from settling and progressing. Like, through the years, over the years, working with newly arrived young people, we've kind of um, seen a pattern in their behaviour, or in, in their mental health and wellbeing. So um, when they first arrive here, you know, everything's fresh. Like you said, they're looking forward to this brighter and better future. That's their main focus, learning the language, making friends, settling in. So it takes maybe a year or so for them to start learning the language, um, starting school or college, making friends. And then when things get calmer for them and that that period has passed, there's like something that just stops and then they kind of remember or their past comes back on them and then we feel like we call this a honeymoon period and once this honeymoon period is over that's when we as youth workers start seeing these triggers in their mental health and well-being and they're coming to us with these disclosures because over the time they've got that relationship with us and now they've realized that they've got these problems or these difficulties and they're speaking to us about all these issues that we weren't aware of because us being youth workers we don't pry into their uh, past, we just see them as young people. We we are aware that there might have been something, but we're not um, like told this information. So until they come and speak to us, we're like, oh my gosh, you've been through so much, and now 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 it's come about. So are you aware of this honeymoon period? Have you kind of seen this yourself? We you just
1: named yourselves ourselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like the term honeymoon period. Absolutely, yeah. it takes time to. Yeah make a positive um relationship with with the client i've seen clients who have undergone trauma in the past so i'm talking about very intimate personal sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and lots of children haven't disclosed this to their parents Mm -hmm. and i've seen them once they get to teenagers they get more confident they get more aware and then i've seen a pattern that lots of children uh, young girls especially started expressing that they've been victims mm-hmm. and when we go back and ask them why didn't you disclose this and they would say i didn't want to trouble my parents i wasn't sure what i've gone through is unusual experience i wasn't sure whether anybody is going to help me mm-hmm. I, I i wasn't sure myself mm-hmm. now i learned that there are services uh, can can you put me in touch with some counseling
0: service yeah. Because we we've got a number of examples where year one and year two we're working with a young person they they're thriving they're loving life they're going to school they're coming to youth centre they're coming they're playing football they're playing basketball they're doing everything and then year three comes along and they start disengaging from our activities and services so we we keep following up and saying how oh, how come you're not coming come to our session and when they come they 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 tell us I don't want to be here anymore like. I've got nothing, like you mentioned, parents are in the class, there's a withdrawal from that relationship between parents. Parents are looking for jobs. They're they are now thinking about what life was like pre the war. And they're like, I want to go to, I want to go back. So we, we, we sit down and, and sometimes it's a lot more deeper than that. Yeah. And it's it's uh, it's it's the things that, uh, memories from the past that has triggered their, their, their moment that they're in at the moment. And I guess the question for me is what, what do we do to now refer this young person into receiving counseling is there like a is there a tick box or is there a a kind of a form that acknowledges yes this person is able to receive support from a therapist or counselor is Do you know what, does is that it like make sense? Is there like a threshold? Is there a threshold? I, I,
1: I, I don't like to put threshold to a yeah. person's problem. It is, we often talk about resilience in yeah. children. So I, I don't think there's a measure for that. So you have to go with how the child is affected... If the child finds it overwhelming, Mm. I think that crosses the threshold for help. For example, I can give some examples of children who've gone through very horrific experience and they're not affected by them, but some of them have gone with not that much trauma, Mm. but they're severely impaired in function. The pointers you need to look for: anybody who's lost a family member in the conflict, anybody who has grievous bodily harm, anybody who has gone through uh, personal sexual trauma, anybody who had uh, experiencing flashback, flashbacks, uh, withdrawn, depressed, not progressing in their educations, not making positive bonds. These are the main things you know, need to look for. And then I think they should definitely have an access to therapy service. The body doesn't forget what you go through. Yeah. So when we are happy, then we forget things. We don't pay attention towards our uh, pain. But when we are lonely, isolated, then... The, the, the things start uh, to come on the surface so, so it, it shouldn't be just one time you assess, but it should be a ongoing love that at a, 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 so. a different yeah. level so if you have any any if you're worried about mental health problems for any child feel free to yeah. email me or ring me and say that i'm worried about this person's mental health could you arrange an
0: assessment could you explain the key differences between uh, mental health challenges faced by refugees and asylum seekers compared to mental health challenges faced by someone that's born and bred in, in, in the UK. Um, they, they,
1: they would have missed on lots of things. They would have, for example, a two-year-old has a uh, assessment by health visitor. So when the refugee child At that time, would have been in the refugee camp. Camp. He wouldn't have any assessment. So the health visitor would have picked up language difficulties, has arranged speech and language therapy, or a a nursing, uh, sorry, or a a school nurse would have arranged a a child who's going through tantrums, some counseling at school. They would have missed that. So indigenous population have got systems in place but for refugee children, the access is difficult because of various barriers. For example, yeah. parents don't speak English. Parents are not about the mental health, uh, not aware of mental health issues. Parents have different belief system, so they don't believe that the mental health problem exists. They believe that this is to do with some extra force. This idea is not sort of uh, known to them and uh, merit practices practice is the only practice who take care of refugees and as- asylum seekers i think they should be training ongoing training to the local
0: other gps, GPs, GPs
1: to be able to cater yes. these children there are uh, the public health in here yeah is led by dr nadia english and she's very keen on uh, putting together uh, training programs around refugee health. But as I said, we need to, th- these are just, I think we're still on survival mode. Yeah. We need to have a contingency sort of, we need to have systems in place so that uh, people don't fall through the cracks and they're picked mm-hmm. up even if they go to register in a mainstream GP service.
0: I could ask you so many more questions, but we're running out of time. I'd wanna keep much of your time as well. Um, thank you very much for, for, for attending and, and answering our questions. And for everyone else that's listening and watching, um, you know, you can look up the Meridian Practice um, on Google. I'm doing some amazing work and we just hope the work continues. And I'm sure it will as we see more and more newly arrived families, refugees, asylum seekers coming into Coventry with everything that's going on in the world. Thank you for
2: watching.